Welcome to Heroic Nonsense. I'm Chris. I'm Heather. And I'm Jason. <laughs> Hiya. And do you want to introduce our special guest? I would. This is this is a, we have now our second special guest, and it's somebody who I've been waiting to talk to for a while now, almost two whole years. She is the author of Searching for Candy, a John Candy biography, and that is Tracy J. Morgan. Hello. Say hi. Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for thank coming. You. Yeah, thank you for joining us all the way from is Shrewsbury, correct? Shrews yes, Shrewsbury. Or Shrewsbury if you're posh. Shrewsbury's better. Shrewsbury's yes. from the UK. I'm like yes. in the middle of the UK, not that close to London. Everyone just thinks of London, not that close. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Yeah, England is just London, and then <laughs> yeah. that's it. And everything else. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> that's what they taught Perfect. me in geography, so. Well, it's great to have – thank you for joining us. I know you're five hours ahead of us. Uh, that Now I know exactly how far ahead. So I kept giving you our time and then your time as well. I kept saying, <laughs> well, 3 o'clock here, and that will be 8 o'clock. I did math. So help, thank you for keeping my math skills very sharp. <laughs> oh, I can do that. You're most welcome. You're like the world clock now, aren't you? I know. I we're going, all over, we're going all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason that we wanted to talk to you is this year, it marks the 30th anniversary of one of my favorite movies, and that's Uncle Buck. It was released in August of 1989. Oh, I love that movie. It's it's one of the best, and I actually rewatched it prior to talking because I, I just like watching that movie. I didn't need a refresher, but I just took advantage of it anyway. My wife goes, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm putting on Uncle Buck." She goes, "Really? That's you're gonna watch that again?" I said, "Yes, <laughs> sir. Research, research purposes only." <laughs> absolutely, it has to be done. No, Uncle Buck is just timeless, absolutely timeless, and it's just John Candy at his best, isn't it? Really. It is. now. One of the, is that really how do you think that was the closest to John Candy's real life that he portrayed between him and Dell? Um, I think it's one of them. I don't I think if you've ever watched Only the Lonely, um, I think that was probably most true to life. He's he plays uh Maureen O'Hara's son and he's a cop and he's quite a shy guy. And I think John was a lot like that as well. But I think yeah. certainly Uncle Buck is one of his personas. And if you were to listen to any interview he's done with Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Candy, uh, his daughter, she will say uh, her dad was most like Uncle Buck. He was fun. Uh, you know, he, he talked to them like he talked to the kids on that. He just talked to them like mini adults and they loved him for that. He was strict, but, you know, uh, kind of forgiving at the same time. So, yeah, I think don't we all want an Uncle Buck? We just love an Uncle Buck. <laughs> was actually John Cass amazing <laughs> yeah i know i wanted an uncle buck now chris you've and heather you've seen it too haven't you yes are you and yeah yes. so i actually went to see that film in the movies in the theater and wow. my, uh, my father took me <clears throat> and i remember the one scene this the one scene that stood out for me always in the trailer for that movie is when he's going through his closet and the bowling ball hits him in the head that was like the one standout thing. And as soon as I saw that, I looked at my father and I was like, we have to go to the movie theater right now and see this movie. That's and, a concussion, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and I was forever grateful because that became one of the most um, memorable comedies for me as a kid growing up. I love that movie. I love watching it, rewatching it. And I remember seeing uh, Macaulay Culkin in that. I believe that was before um, the Home Alone films. Right? Am I right? Yeah, you're right. Actually, um, Uncle Buck inspired Home Alone. Um, and if, if in John Hughes's world in Chicago, the Home Alone house is literally just around the corner of Uncle Buck because everyone lived in the same sort of area. Oh. And everyone went to the same school. You know, like if you were to look at his films, um, Sixteen Candles, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the high school in Uncle Buck is the same school. So in his world, in his little sort of micro world, all these people could have crossed paths at any time. Um, but yeah, there's a scene in Uncle Buck that inspired Home Alone. I can go into it. <laughs> you might want to take that for later on. Yeah, the and it, I think it didn't it come from the scene where Macaulay Culkin was looking at Shanice through the uh, mail slot, and that's, that's sort right. of like 
that's sort of the inspiration for it. See, I, I know my John Candy stuff too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. I think it's that kid's imagination of like who's at the door. It could be anybody. And then he does that bit to the letterbox and he doesn't see Shanice and he looks at the letterbox again and there's three strange men staring at through it. Mm-hmm. He comes back and again and then Shanice is there. So yeah, it was kind of like this kid <laughs> home alone and he wants to call and anything could happen. I uh, I love that. I love that particular scene. You're actually calling out something that I, I don't necessarily think about. The one scene that I always think about with that film was when <laughs> when he's flipping the giant pancake <laughs> and then the kids come down and he goes, you should see the toast. It won't even fit through the door. That was like one of my favorite scenes from that film. That's one that I, I always say that to like my son or, or around the house. That was like always one of my jokes. That is... And when he says to his brother, he wakes his bro- or his brother wakes him up in the middle of the night, and he goes, "Hey, Bob, what are you drunk?" That's my other <laughs> favorite line from that film. Hey, Bobby, what are you drunk? Oh, <laughs> Chris quotes that all the time. I love that one. And what does he say um, after he gets off the phone? He's just like, "Well, you know, he's he was asleep, and at this hour, that's that's an improvement." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bless him oh he's such a great character he, he really is but i love all the little things he does like microwaving the socks has anyone tried to microwave their socks because i might have to try that no i don't think Just i'm gonna head. i don't think i yeah i'm not gonna do that <laughs> i'm a little scared about no? it no because, <laughs> because you know you couldn't get the goddamn washer to work <laughs> <laughs> no but my uh yeah i, I don't know if i want to I'm I'm a little little hesitant to microwave my socks. I don't need warm socks. Not it's too warm outside right now. It's almost a hundred degrees today, so we're not. We're I not don't know you're not melting. It's it's hot in the UK and it's never hot in the UK. Um, we're all sweating like pregnant nuns. It's just like crazy. Now, <laughs> do you have do you have central air like in in most no. of your housings? No, you don't. No, see. not at it all. Doesn't get that hot. No, it doesn't get that hot. We just melt when it happens. We don't have air conditioning. Everybody runs in the basement or in the shadiest room there. <laughs> one of the um, – do you – so when you first – when Uncle Buck first gets to the house, one of the things I always enjoyed was when he's looking in the living room while everyone's yes. still asleep. Yeah. And he picks up the plate and he drops it. He goes, huh, unbreakable. <laughs> Makes it. <laughs> But the next morning when he meets the kids for the first time and after he has the the exchange with the, the older I, I forget the character's name already. Jeez. Yeah. Tia. After Tia, he has the exchange with her, and then Macaulay Culkin comes down, he goes, Holy smokes, he's cooking our garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he put onions in the eggs. And they had, there there was a lot of there was a lot of good stuff with that, uh, with the kids there. And the other thing I think that is most famous from that entire movie was the scene with Buck Melanoma. Yes. Holy Russell's Wart, Russell's Wart. Not her ward, not her ward. I'm I'm the ward. She's my tumor, my my growth, my uh, my pimple. I'm Uncle Wart. Just old Buck Wart Russell. That's what they call me. Or Melanoma Head. Melanoma they call head. me that. <laughs> Melanoma Head's coming. <laughs> But that scene where he just he lays into that teacher or the principal and that just that line at the end that just digs at her. I loved it because, you know, here's a quarter. Go downtown and have a rat and all that thing off your face. (laughs) Yeah, it's just absolute classic. Classic. And wouldn't you want somebody like that when you were a kid to go in and stick up for you and actually say that to your headmaster or mistress? It would have been amazing. I, I would mean, have loved that. I would have loved that. My yeah. my mother my mother was like that. I think my mother um, was she. Oh yeah, she would. If anyone ever said anything bad about me, she would go after them. She's like a she's a little she's a little Italian pit bull. She just goes after them. <laughs> well, it's funny because the movie the movie kind of um, it, it it works in two different ways. You have the children who he's taking up for, and then you also have the older daughter who is constantly butting heads with him. And it's kind of interesting because the movie works on so many different levels, but I think it works so much because it shows the two different sides, like he's playing while he is Uncle Buck and filling in for the parents' role. 
Um, the, it, it always the, that girl in that film always annoyed me. Like even as a kid, annoyed me. Her boyfriend Bug always annoyed me. Like Bug. That that <laughs> actress, it made me dislike her because of the role that she played throughout the film. Now, of course, at the end, she's like, "Oh, everything's great." But I hated how she just annoyed the crap out of me. It's like she just she was just a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? Absolutely. She was. She was just everything that probably teenagers are and that you hate about them. Um, but I think he handled it beautifully, you know. I think I love the fact that when he drops her off, she's like, please don't pick me up from school. And he's like, if you stand me up today, tomorrow I'll walk you to a class in my dressing gown, you know. He's just like... <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing. I'll show I'll show up in my bathrobe. <laughs> yeah, we dressing gowns so British. <laughs> yeah, my bathrobe. Yeah, that yeah. go ahead, I'm sorry. That's okay. I just think with the kids though, we just had that perfect chemistry. I mean going back to that scene initial with scene with Macaulay Culkin where they were doing questions and the answers and they were flipping backwards and forwards. Do you have a wife? Why not? Do you have an office? Why not? Do you have a job? And I think, um, I know Macaulay had struggled with that. He was only eight years old. So sort of recording something at that pace was quite difficult for him. So I know John had the camera on his shoulder. He would say the line, Macaulay would repeat it back to him. And with a bit of chopping and editing, it just looked perfect. And I just watched an interview with Macaulay Culkin the other day, uh, who's somebody that I didn't get to interview for the book and I was really sad about. Um, I would have loved to have read something that, from him. Yeah, it's too bad. <laughs> oh, me too. He, he was actually in the UK and I was going to go and stalk him. He was doing the Pizza Underground, which is like a Velvet Underground tribute act, but with pizza lyrics. And oh, really? So in the UK. he's in that band? Yeah. He was. They got booed off stage oh. and they cancelled. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, but I, but I messaged his PR going, please, can I speak to Macaulay Culkin about John Candy? And they said he'll only accept questions about pizza. And I'm like, I can do that. I can. John Candy was a pizza. What kind of pizza would he be, and why? You know, like have your experience in terms of toppings. I could have done that. But it, they weren't buying it apparently. But I would have loved to have interviewed him. Um, but I know from his memories, he just said John was just very generous and very sweet with the children, so patient. And I know a lot of people aren't patient with child actors, and he was just everything. So, yeah. And I think Tia as well, she was only 16 when she started that, and she turned 17 at the time, and he made a big fuss of the birthday. And to them, they didn't realise who they were working with. It was just a guy, like, yeah, which it just astounds me. You you mentioned that in the book too, in one of the stories uh, from the actress who played it. Her name was her last name was Kelly. I, I can't remember her first name now. Louise, yeah. Yes, yeah, she she for her seventeenth birthday that John got her a birthday cake and a jacket. I think from Hard Rock in Chicago is what you yeah. mentioned, and that was you know a good memory for her. And even though they never saw each other again, it always stuck out for her that he was just great. You know, he's a wonderful guy. Every story in your book about John and, um, well, I let me. I'll just tell you real quick. The re- how I met you, Tracy, is when I I discovered your Facebook page for the book when I was looking for stories about planes, trains, and automobiles because I wanted to know why Del Griffith had a black eye at the end. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it was never explained. And I wound up finding the shooting script and I had already liked your page. So I was getting like your daily updates and everything. So I just sent you a message. I was like, Hey, did you ever read the original shooting script? And we had talked back and forth since then. And when I find out, I found out it was a book that you were writing and I couldn't wait for it. And I was super duper excited. And uh, I know, and I'm not just, you know, having you on here to talk because you mentioned me in the book but that was it's still very touching uh i i was i was mentioned in it (laughs) awesome fun fact that's freaking awesome yeah it was uh but it was thank you again for that no thank you yeah so when i just want to talk about the book for real for a moment um and i know you mentioned this in the the preamble of the book, the one of two preambles. But how did you decide that you wanted to write about John Candy? Sort of starting the book, it kind of went back a bit, really. I'd um, struggled with depression, and I struggled with depression since I've been 21, and I'm 41 now. And about 
seven years ago, probably a bit longer now, I had a really bad bout of depression. And I was trying to find things to pull me out of it. And some of those things were revisiting things from my childhood. And um, one of those was John Candy movies. I grew up with them. My brother introduced me to them and I loved them. And so I watched them. I was like, oh my God, I forgot how much I loved John and just how great he was on screen and how you felt like he was your friend even though you didn't know him always rooting for the underdog is there a biography about him and there was there was one biography um by a guy called martin neilman and i read it and actually i'm a lot softer on martin neilman now than when i first read the book because now i realize how hard it is to write a book um, but it was a bit mean in places and i just thought you know john deserves a bit better and there's more stories here so i'll try I'll try and write my own writer by trade. a bit of a lofty dream, but when you tell everybody you're going to do something, you eventually have to do it. <laughs> right, right. So I had to do it. That's right. That's, and that's good. And so you mentioned it took about seven years from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah, because when I first started, it was really hard to get any interviews because people either didn't take me seriously or they were just saying, you know, um, you know, who, who are you publishing it with? They just wanted to know all that side of thing as opposed to the exciting, fun side of writing the book. But uh, actually introduced him to John Candy and they actually tricked him to, to um, auditioning for Second City and that's how he got it in. And so from that point then, once I started getting those names, other people came forward and were interested. Some people took two years and said no initially. And then two years later... When I went back to them, they were like, you still have to, all right, then we'll uh, we'll talk to you. Not because I had them, just because they realized I was serious by that point, I think. Yeah, they were like, well, she's doing, other... she was doing this for two years. I guess she she wants to make this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's going to ask me in another two years. So I might as well just get it out of the way. Now, did you, did you, um, do, then... a lot of, did you do a lot of traveling or was it mainly just via email or telephone or how did that? A lot of Skype, telephone, and email. And then I finally went to Toronto last year, just because I didn't feel like I could write a book about John Candy and not go to Toronto. And at that stage, I met um, a couple of the people that I'd interviewed, Joel Helmeyer, who's just amazing. He was like the wardrobe wizard on SCTV, and he was John's dress called Vinnings. And uh, one of John's old friends from school, Jonathan Omar. So I got to meet some of the people that I kind of built a relationship with, which is lovely. Uh, but the world's such a small place these days. You really can interview or do anything anywhere, really. I, I didn't have to travel, which was the good news, because I really didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so from that point of view, yeah, it's uh, the world's a lot smaller place with the internet. That's a good thing, too. That's a good thing, too. Yeah. That's a, you know, it's when I reached out to you, I did the one thing. You're not supposed to talk to strangers, and that's all I think anything, <laughs> anything is now. It's just talking to strangers. I mean, a year ago, I only met Chris and Heather back in last may at uh at the funko event that i had so and we've we're we're all we're old friends yeah we we can't we became quick quick friends it it was um over a um something that we both enjoyed and loved so much i I would suggest that you loved it way more than me because look look how many uh long years you've been in it um but i that was cool that our love kind of brought us together but it's very similar to the both of you uh, uh tracy and and uh, 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 why am I blanking on your name, Jason? Uh, Jason. I just had. No, I had. I had a. I had a stroke. That's okay. Uh, listen, I'm. We're fine. really good friends. Um, J- no, J- so Jason and Tracy, you guys know each other over this whole John Candy thing and the book and all that kind of jazz, which is really cool. That's that's cool that that brought you guys together. Yeah, and that's it's that's the great thing about the internet. I think in total is that the people it does bring together, and it doesn't have to be just about everyone yelling about politics or anything else it's the people come together i'm getting emotional here yeah people spend your and for anyone out there just spend your time engaging in things that make you happy and and i think that's that's a good key of life it's the one thing you control is to enjoy things that you like instead of being angry all the time about the Absolutely. things that you like. no yeah. I- Go find people that that get you. I think yeah. is the big. Isn't it? They're passionate about the same things that you are. And now I've met you guys as well. So <laughs> next next month you're going to be my lifelong friends too. So. That's right. You know, next year next year you're going to be like, you know, I met Chris and Heather. And no, uh, she's James. not going to remember my name because I didn't remember yours. So she'd be like, oh, Heather and that guy. 
Uh, well, we were we were friends first, Chris. So. <laughs> Going back to John Candy, uh, what was one of the more surprising things that you took from this journey of writing a book about a man who meant so much to so many people, seemed to be larger than life, and as John Hallemeyer actually says to you in the book, John was just one big hug. What yeah. what did you take out of just from start? You were a fan when you wrote it, or when you started. How did you, where were you in the end of the process? Uh, he kind of changed my life because I think John said yes a lot mm-hmm. and he just lived life a lot and he loved people um, and he was just interested in everybody. He had time for everybody. I think he exhausted himself from that. So I think there's another lesson to be learned there that you can only give so much of yourself. But I think if there was, a, I'm not really religious, but if there was a religion of John Candy, I think it would just be one of love. And I think that would, you know, uh, that kind of just made me feel like I wanted to be a better person. I wanted to be more John, really. And as you go through, you'll, you'll read stories of people he didn't know of security guards he knew was going to be evicted from his home and he gave him a hug and then that security guy found ten thousand dollars in his pocket wow yeah i mean that that's john candy and uh stories like that just kept blowing me away all the way through and it was over time when there was no you know twitter or facebook there's no sort of social media or viral element there's no internet so a lot of these stories didn't get documented. And so it's been great to unearth some of those. But just pure kindness, even if you hate my writing and you hate the book, just take away from it that John was just absolutely one stunning human being. And we were all a lot richer for him being on this world, really. Yeah, that's beautiful. It, there's there's a couple stories that how he took up for even some other actors that there was a director. I forget which movie it was right now, but he didn't. He berated the director and said, don't you ever talk to this you know, person oh, like that yeah. again. Yeah. What was that one again? It was the AD on Cool Runnings. Yes. Uh, and he, yeah. he, he berated one of the actors and John just like let him have it. And he says, don't you ever talk to, down to him like that. You treat him just like you would anybody else. And that's, I mean, his portrayals in all his movies that he did, Uncle Buck or uh, even, like you said, Only the Lonely all those great characters that he played, he was just, he loved life, it seemed. And yeah. and a lot of that has to do with his his family, his family history with his father and his grandfather dying young. And he didn't think that he had uh, much time to be alive. So he just lived it to the fullest, whether it be food, alcohol, smoking. Um, he just, he loved, he loved being around people. Yeah, that always made me feel sad. I always, you know, it was sad that he he thought of himself as a ticking time bomb, really. And so he just made the best of the time that he had. And although I think there's a, so many benefits to that, I mean, he stayed up a lot. He really didn't sleep very much. He would go out if he was on set somewhere and he didn't have to go out with a friend. He would go out to the local bar and by the end of the night, everyone would be his friend and he'd be buying drinks and just giving so much of himself to everybody. And there's probably a million more stories out there of people having nights with John Candy um, that we just don't know about, that nobody knows about. That There was a story in the book that, um, but actually that I didn't put in the book, I'll, I'll put it in the second edition of... Um, them doing a second city show in Pasadena and John had gone out the back for a smoke and then disappeared and um, Dave Thomas finally found him he was in somebody's house an elderly couple's house uh, he just got to them they invited him in for a drink and he was like I, I have to do the show now I'm really sorry you know I'll, I'll come back and he was just sitting there chatting to them about their son and their life and you know just completely consumed by them and completely forgetting what he was doing and I just think it's, it's just a lovely way to be that's that but that doesn't surprise me at all just from everything i read about him in your book and just hearing stories from others that just sounds like a typical john candy thing to do and i i i I connect with that on certain levels as well yeah no it's lovely what's your favorite john candy movie i know is yours uncle buck or is it like what's everybody's i'm just really interested if you don't mind me asking um so mine is mine is uncle buck Um, it is yeah what my favorite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my favorite. Hmm. So Uncle Buck is okay. my favorite. Um, but a close second is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, 
Plain strains is pretty perfect. What about you, Heather? Yeah, I like the plain strains and automobiles. I think it's just really, really silly. And I love that. Yeah. Well, for me, for me, planes, trains, and automobiles is my favorite movie. Period. Yeah. <laughs> but it it goes beyond John. Can oh, I guess so. It would be my favorite John Candy one as well. <laughs> if it's if it's my favorite movie, I think we're just gonna have to. <laughs> well, logic would only say. <laughs> but you never know. You never know. It could just. I have. Yeah. But planes, trains, and automobiles, and Del Griffith. So Heather. You and I are on the same page with that one. That's great. Yeah, but that was good. my he Del Griffith is uh, it's my he's my my favorite character. I think that John actually played, and I do. I love Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck's Uncle Buck is probably a close second. Yeah. And I have a small, very very warm place in my heart for who's Harry Crumb. Uh, but Del Griffith was. That that character is amazing. It, it's it's very dramatic. It's a very sad character. I think that if it was made today, it would resonate. It still resonates well, especially with. It, you mentioned depression. There's you know that's me mental health is at the forefront of a lot of comics right now and in society, and that's a really good thing. And I think the the sadness of Del Griffith, it always that stuck with me, and just the seriousness of, of that entire role. And I would have loved to have seen the expanded ending where the the scene at the train station that yeah. was in the shooting script and I believe was probably filmed. But after he says that, you know, she's been dead, uh, you know, for 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 all these years. And I would have liked to have seen the rest of his story he was telling him that he where you see what he carries around in that trunk. And because the script I read it, I was just like, God, this is devastating. For a comedy, yeah. <laughs> like John John Hughes just like stuck you right in the heart with a sad knife. I'm like, gosh, it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, heartbreaking, <laughs> absolutely heartbreaking. I mean that that um, when they first did the editor's cut of that, I think it was still four and a half hours long. I would have loved to have seen that four and a half hours. Long. I know. Oh my god. Yeah, there would have been, and that's the editor's. You know that that's the edited version. Yeah. I've only one clip that you can find that's uh, like um. A cut um a cut clip that they did and it was on the airplane and it's just beautiful um but i think the same with uncle buck i think the way john hughes worked was he just kept filming so they would stop um i think they'd stop doing the scene and then he wouldn't say cut and they kind of look at each other and they carry on going and he would do that four five six seven eight nine times wow. and uh point where they would get so far behind schedule and i think uncle buck was the same and although I've, I've not actually seen any of the footage um, from Uncle Buck that was cut, there is a picture of John um, at the Chicago Stadium. Um, he was really Blackhawks. Field. That's oh no, um, Chicago's ice hockey. Oh, the, okay. That's, that's the Cubs, isn't it? Is that right? Well, no. The, he he lived in Wrigleyville. Like his apartment was in Wrigleyville, which is right near the Cubs baseball that's stadium. Right. Yeah, that's right. But he does he does um, a shoot, and it's not in the film where he's at the Chicago Stadium for the Blackhawks on the on the ice. The ice hockey. Ice hockey. Yeah, you can look up on the internet. You can find pictures of, of Uncle Buck playing ice hockey, and I just have no <laughs> idea where they were going with that. But I think that would have been a really good scene to have kept in. Just um, yeah, there must be so much out there that we just don't see, and it ended up on the cutting floor, and it probably doesn't exist anymore. Wow. It's probably destroyed. Time. Well, in Universal, because it was a Universal movie, they had that huge lot fire that they, you know, they're oh, finding yeah. like all this stuff was destroyed and music and film, just I like masters are gone that. forever. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. It's awful. Now, Heather, what what about planes, trains, and automobiles do you like the most? I don't, I just I just really like how like. I guess the best word to describe it is whimsical. I like um, he and Steve Martin's characters going back and forth with each other. I think it's just really hilarious. Yeah, their dialogue back and forth to, with each other is funny because they are two characters that are on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. You have the guy who has it all and doesn't know that he has it all and the guy that's lost it all. And somehow, by the end of the film, they both become best friends and it makes you think you know people that you see on the street or people that you come in contact with again the mental health thing you don't know where another person is in their head right so 
I've always been the type that I befriend people, sometimes people that you wouldn't necessarily think to befriend, you know, a kind of a stranger type of person. Um, I become friends with people like that all the time. And that's kind of what that story is like. Although uh, that that's <laughs> that story is like kind of completely different because all he's trying to do is get to get rid of um, of Dell the entire time. That's all he wants to do is just throw him off the train or throw him out of the airplane, you know, as he's <laughs> uh, swinging his sock around and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, the story has um, out of a comedy, you don't expect to get that much heart out of a comedy. And, yeah. and I think that's something that definitely stands out for that film. Yeah. It's very, it's very, very silly, but it, it almost has like a, a sort of moral. Right. Well, I like that. Uh, what's his name? The guy who made all these movies, John Hughes. He, mm-hmm. um, he, he seemed to put heart in everything that he did, even though it was a comedy. Um, and he seemed to know people pretty well. He, it seemed like he was able to portray human beings as human beings instead of a on-screen presence. And I, and I always thought, especially with teenagers, I always thought that was interesting. And, that, you know, John Hughes kind of his whole story, too. We're talking about John Candy, but John Hughes, his story ended very strange, too. He had, yeah, and he again. He was another one who was a he was a smoker, and he just he kind of got out of Hollywood after John Candy died. He was moving away from it, but there's a and Tracy, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. There there was a saying that John Hughes was hated Hollywood because they killed his friend John Candy. Hmm. Yeah, that's something that goes around. There was a a lady that was a pen pal with John Hughes when she was a teenager. And he used to write to her and she used to write to him and tell him off if he didn't write back. And then he'd write back and send her memorabilia and things. And he rang her uh, and actually said, you know, he believed Hollywood killed John Candy. And that's why he was getting out. That's because he couldn't say no. Yeah, he couldn't. He was too nice. He was too nice. And, um, you know, the the film companies, the production companies, they they worked him so hard. And I can't believe that, well, he passed away in Mexico in 1994. Um, I can't believe at that stage that they okayed his medical to go on and work on that set. And I believe in Hollywood um, that basically, you know, doctors will sometimes write what you want them to write to make sure that the production can go ahead. It's sort of like with sports. It's sort of like with sports with concussions and yeah. just, you know, oh, he's fine. He's got his bell rung. Just he can go back in. Are you sure he's bleeding out of his ears and nose? Ah, just wipe it off. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's just a graze. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually have a question, if that's okay. Um, so you writing this book, uh, you had mentioned that you wanted to talk to Macaulay Culkin. Were you talking to some of the actors? Now, of course, I haven't read the book. Uh, did you yeah. talk to some of the actors that were involved in some of the films that John Candy w- was in? Yeah. Um, I mean, if we're going to talk about Uncle Buck in particular, I talked to Tia and Jay Underwood, who played Bug, who's actually a pastor now. Wow. He couldn't be further away from his character as Bug. Um, but I got to talk to 70 people in the end, and I got to talk to Mel Brooks um, about Spaceballs, I got to talk to Carl Reiner, um, wow. Mariel Hemingway about Delirious. Um, I will forget names like you wouldn't believe, but I did. I, I managed to talk to over 70 people in the end who'd either worked with him or were friends with him or had worked with him on some sort of crew aspect or something like that. But yeah, I, I managed to talk to a lot of people and everybody pretty much right the way through everyone would tell you the same everybody loved john candy he was probably one of the nicest people to work with that's a that's an incredible undertaking uh writing this book and and going through and meeting all these people what was the what was the most um um interesting moment of you writing this book and the people that you were talking to does anything stand out or resonate for you oh gosh i was i was really lucky to speak to every single person um, but there's one story that runs through the book from planes, trains, picks up again at Cool Runnings and goes to the end. Uh, the guy uh, called Ken Tipton had a chance meeting with John and uh, wanted to get into Hollywood. And then John ended up later on becoming a bit of a mentor. And then I won't tell you the final story, but it kind of wraps up nicely. And it's, it's actually after John's passed away, but it's like John in spirit gave you know gave him his final you know first job first proper paid job so 
Um, that was a really interesting story for me because that just kind of proved to me that, you know, this guy who he was basically um, being a standing on planes, trains, and he wasn't getting to meet John. So he thought he's going to go and find him. He looked at one of the PAs, had a massive tray of food, couldn't see John Candy and followed that guy and thought, you know, he's going to John Candy's trailer and said, oh, I'm John Candy standing. I was told I should take his, his food for him. And he just manages <laughs> to get in there. <laughs> and so I went into John and he said you could see this look of like oh god this guy's not leaving you know in, in John's eyes but he just put his script down and talked to him and said you know if you're really serious about getting to acting and you ever can get to Hollywood give me a call look me up and uh, and it took a long time for him to find him but he found him and, and John rang him back gave him his advice and he managed to get his SAG card and then actually his first paid job was very closely linked to John Wow, that's it's, incredible. It's that's really, really cool. it, and it's it's a really beautiful story how she connects all of them together and just how it works out. I was getting goosebumps when you're talking about it because I was remembering it. I was like, that was a, it, it's a very touching thing, and it really speaks to the character of John. And it's one of the things you brought out in that in the entire book is you just you felt like you knew him, just you felt like you knew him watching his movies. Yeah. And throughout his career, and then after I read your book, I felt like that I had lost a really good friend. Oh, um, I'm, so too, so. I'm so sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you made me sad. <laughs> but I, no. I re- yeah, you, you. One of the things you you talked about Jay Underwood, which I'm surprised him being a priest. That's that's very interesting. <laughs> um, but you mentioned uh, about Jay Underwood, where they had. They were doing a lot of improvisation, which he liked, which John liked to do from his background, and John Hughes allowed him to do as well. But it was when he was in the back of the truck, uh, the trunk of the car, and they just said, you know, just keep calling him names after you rip the tape off. And one of them, he called, um, you know, he just said, all right, just riff. And he said, oh, he called him Fatso in one of them. And then after the take, John asked him very politely, just, lay off the fat jokes please wow. he, he yeah. didn't really he didn't like that at all Interesting. No. and you mentioned and if you look at his movies he never really played the bumbling fat guy i mean other than stripes but you one of the things about that and i'll let you tell it he was uncomfortable with stripes initially when he read it yeah it was the mud wrestling scene where they're in the bar and he's mud wrestling with i think four or five women and um, he kept his T-shirt on. He didn't want to show the top of his body like uh-huh. they wanted him to. And he was uncomfortable with it for several reasons. I don't think he wanted to fight women. Um, but also he was uncomfortable that he felt like they, they they had him in there because he was the big one and they thought that was funny. Hmm. And I know Thomas said to me, you know, Harold Ramis, Ivan Reitman, they often wanted to do fat jokes with John. And he didn't really appreciate it he would he was fair so if you gave him like a normal role he might let you put one or two in um but that's why he liked working with Dan Aykroyd on the Blues Brothers and the Great Outdoors they never really did the fat jokes you know because he was so much more than that and when you look at Brewster's Millions I think he'd lost 70 pounds at that stage and I, I don't know why people think you know he had to be funny because he was fat because he was just funny he could make you crack up with like the lift of an eyebrow it was nothing about his physical mass his face was just so expressive his timing was unbelievable his wit you know so quick um yeah I just think he he was self-conscious really self-conscious and I think Hollywood wanted him to stay a big guy to be honest with you as well I think that's how they liked him to be and that's where they found Chris it's one of the things like with Chris Farley they always put him in roles where you know his his physicality, but even though he was a big guy, he was a heavy man. Uh, Chris Farley, he he was really used like in Beverly Hills Ninja, he was a fat ninja, and like that was his. They they really exploited him in a lot of ways. I still liked the movie, and I loved Chris Farley well, he, too. There was a scene yeah. also in Tommy Boy where it was the big guy in a little coat. I mean, they they always uh, centered in on his weight and everything. Um, he. Uh, which I, who knows? I mean, I, I'm sure he was in pain a lot for from that being like the center of the attention of why it's being, you know, why it's funny, and it makes you wonder, you know, because if you think about it, John Candy and Chris Farley, sort of like a similar kind of story. Both depressed guys, both went out, you know, because they were 
kind of mentally ill. They both had their own issues. Um, very, they kind of resonate. The the both stories similarly. The sad clown. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So Tracy, you mentioned it, but what is your favorite John Candy movie? Ah, uh, see, you... this this changes day to day. Oh. Um, I could probably do like a top five. Um, Uncle Buck is definitely up there. Planes, Trains is up there. Only the Lonely for me because I found out that was probably the closest to his character. I absolutely love that one too. And then I grew up with Brewster's Millions. I think that was my introduction to John because my brother loved that film and he was older and cooler than me. So if I wanted to get out with my <laughs> And Splash as well, I, I think was probably one of the first ones that I watched, The Great Outdoors. I lo- there's there's something you can find in all of them. There's, I could probably tell you the films I don't like, but I still love John in them. <laughs> there's a few films he did that I didn't think were great. Uh, but he always bought something, he made them better, even though, you know, they weren't the best films. One of the movies I d- and I've tried so hard, I, I've tried several times, I didn't like it when it first, Nothing But Trouble. I don't like that movie at all. And after reading your, the chapter about it in your book, and then just going back, it just seemed like Dan Aykroyd wanted to make a movie. And he got his friends to do it. And then after it was over, it was just like, uh, probably wasn't a great idea to do. I have friends who love that movie. And there's no in between. You either hate it or it's great. And I'm firmly in the camp. (laughs) I really enjoyed that movie. It was What's that, Heather? I really enjoyed that movie. it's, It's just a really, I like it because it's weird. Oh, it's definitely weird. It's really weird. It is really, really weird. I don't understand. I'm so surprised over this. Go ahead. The real people versus I ha- I haven't seen it in a long time, so forgive me. But like the the people with the weird like prosthetic makeup yeah. type thing that was weird, and then like Tupac shows up, and I'm like it's a digital underground. Um, okay. It's just very strange. And I remember a ball pit. There was the, was there a ball pit? I know they went through like the roller. Yeah, yeah there was a ball pit. Yeah, in the roller coaster or something. It, it was uh. a very bizarre movie. I want to sit down and watch it again just to see it as more of an adult. As more of an adult? Yes. Partially adult? <laughs> yes, a partial I know, adult. it's funny because I would like to sit back and watch that. In fact, it's Have funny. you ever seen it? I have as when I was a lot younger, but it's funny because we're talking about our favorite John Candy films, and and the two that always stuck out for me was Uncle Buck, obviously, and and Plane, Trains, and Automobiles. And thinking about it, they are the only two movies that I circled back and watched many occasions. Uh, all of his other films, I never really. I might have watched it once as a child, but that was it. I never went back and watched it again. And I and having this conversation sort of makes me want to go back and watch some more of his other films. Also, the um, what is it? What's the film? The summer film. Summer uh, rental. Summer oh. rental. Um, that was another one that was sort of a, a, a film it, when I was when, when I was a kid. We watched that every summer. You know, that was like a summer film. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that as well because he like he did over forty films. So you've got a lot to go back and revisit, I think. But Summer Rental was a great one, um, and The Great Outdoors. You must have seen The Great Outdoors more. Than yes, once. I, I did see Great Outdoors uh, maybe once or twice because Dan Aykroyd's in that film. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. So I remember that movie. My father really happened to like that movie, so we watched that one a couple of times. I, like I said, as an adult, I haven't revisited them. So those are two that I. I think that I want to go back and watch Summer Rental and The Great Outdoors. Definitely two. And and the one that Heather was mentioning, what's it called? Nothing But Trouble. Nothing But Trouble. Yeah, because I remember, because there was a scene in that where they're sitting around a dinner table. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And Dan Aykroyd's nose is a and it, Yeah, he has a dick nose. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I remember that too. Yeah, which it's is really, really weird. Strange. The movie's very strange. It's a weird, weird movie. You know, he was also in The Rescuers Down Under. That's right. John Candy. Oh, John Candy. Really? Yeah, he played the, I guess he's a seagull. Albatross. He's an albatross. Ah, yeah. I forgot about that. And one of the, uh, he was originally supposed to be in Ghostbusters as uh, the character. uh, It went to Rick Moranis. But John Candy didn't, I guess when he read the script, he didn't quite get it and didn't want to do it. And so. Yeah. Yeah. 
You, you, Tracy, you probably know this one. <laughs> I think if memory serves me right, and I do get brain fog, so I need to go back <laughs> my book sometimes to find find out that I'm right or not. Uh, he, I think he was either wanting to play it as a Swedish or a German character that had lots of dash hounds. If I remember <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> And him and Ivan Reitman just couldn't agree on it. And I think in the end he suggested Rick Moranis for the role and he always said, you know, Rick Moranis did it amazingly. Um, strangely enough, actually, there's been a lot, in a lot of the interviews I did, um, there was a lot of roles that they either wanted Rick Moranis for that they got John Candy for instead and vice versa. And um, although they're completely different physically, I think... Um, Comedy-wise, comedy style, they were actually quite similar to work with. And when I interviewed Mel Brooks, he said they could do comedy dell'arte, which is kind of an old uh, fashion sort of comedy where you go, this is the story, and then you play to the story, but you improv the whole thing, keeping the storyline. Um, and he said he'd only ever met three people who could do that, and that was uh, Gene Wilder, Rick Moranis, and John Candy. And I always found that interesting because I think yeah, volunteers that John did with Tom Hanks, originally they were thinking of Rick Moranis for that. And there was rumours of wanting John for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And it's quite interesting how you either got John in those those roles. You could only get one Canadian. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine, though, those roles flip-flopped? John Candy yeah. and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? That would be odd. I think it would work. I, I think yeah. it would be different, but it would work. But, yeah, it just... It's 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 strange to me, but yeah, the um, there was a lot of roles that certainly the, the they wanted one of them and they got the other one for. Interesting. So, very similar ways of working. Yeah, Volunteers was a was a very odd movie too because it wasn't like a comedy, but it was but it was at the same time. Uh, yeah. I, I, how would you describe that one? It's it's a difficult one. And J- Tom Tom Hanks had an accent for part of it, and then he didn't for part of it. <laughs> I think it's probably one of the films where the lead character, who was Tom Hanks, is is not as memorable as Tom Tuttle from Tacoma. Everybody remembers Tom Tuttle from Tacoma, John Candy in that movie, and it's it, it's quite a, a strange one. It's kind of all about the Peace Corps, and Tom Hanks's character gets himself into a lot of debt and wants to run because he's being chased for money and uh, and ends up convincing somebody that they should let him have this place on the plane for the Peace Corps. And he goes out there sort of being, you know, real self-centred and then finding all these people and kind of eventually being a good guy in the end. But, yeah, he was just hiding for his own, you know, sort of self-benefit, really. Um, but nobody ever really remembers that side of it, but everyone remembers Tom Tuttle from Tacoma. That's right. John's uh, John's great in that as well, but again, not one of my favourites, I don't think. But he made that movie better. Every movie he was in, he made it better. But yeah, unfortunately, he couldn't help nothing but trouble. But Heather disagrees with me. <laughs> well, so we, I, we, had, we had we had two John Candies in <laughs> Nothing But Trouble. <laughs> I disagree with um, with you as of like 15 years ago when I saw it for the very last time. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go back. I, I just, I'm always intrigued by strange things. And I find that movie very strange. Yeah. So you enjoy it because it was, of it being strange. The talent, the talent in that movie. I mean, you had uh, Demi Moore, you had Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd. I know. Two John, two John Candies, Taylor Negron. You had all these like, wonderful actors and performers and comedians in this in this movie and you're just like what what the fuck were they doing (laughs) that's the only thing i could think of i didn't say that when i was younger and i first saw it but when i was older and i rewatched i was like oh what the f is going on so it was actually dan Aykroyd's debut in directing and he never directed again and i think he it was the film that nearly lost us all our careers. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, I have a, another question. So for you, it sounds like you, you talked to Mel Brooks. You talked to a lot of folks about this. So were they kind of, um, were they shocked that you're writing this book or, or was it something exciting? Were they, were they really excited to talk about John Candy and, and, and be a part of all this? 
Yeah, I think so. And um, Mel especially, he was just so interested in the project. And I kind of got Mel because I interviewed Carl Reiner, um, who directed Summer Rental. Uh-huh. And, um, and I knew if I could get one of them, I could get the other because they're really good friends. I think Carl Ryan is about 96 now. I think Mel Brooks turned 93 yesterday. Oh, my God. Um, yes, he did. Yeah. Every oh. night they uh, they go and they eat tea together or dinner, as uh, it depends where you're from, I guess, tea, tea in the UK. And they watch Jeopardy every night. So they hang out. So I knew <laughs> what it was a good chance I'd get the other one. And I managed to get Carl Reiner literally from a tweet and then because i got carl i managed to get mel and mel was wow. just interested wow. asking me how i was going to publish and self-publish and you know said well, i can use his name to you know get anywhere i needed to go uh he was kind of more interested in me than you know anybody else i'd spoken to and he was a really lovely man i never used his name to get to where i wanted to go because i didn't feel like i could you know just on the back of a of a short interview but he was really lovely so really when you when you did That's these interviews, awesome. were these all over the telephone? Did you actually meet some of these folks? No, he was over the telephone. Um, a lot of them were on Skype, um, some on email. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was unfortunate that I I think I had it been in in the states, certainly I would have done some face to face. But yeah, I had to uh, to do them all over the phone. But you know, it's it's great. It's still. Time zones were a bit of a trouble, so I used to have to stay up to two, three in the morning to get to speak to some of these people. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that was hard work. I love my sleep. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm awake and alert. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was great. It was great that I got to speak to all these people. I was very lucky and very fortunate. Absolutely well, incredible. I, I, don't, I don't feel too bad about asking you to talk to us at eight o'clock your time then. <laughs> no. <laughs> As it had not been the 4th of July, I would have like stayed up and spoken to yourselves. If you weren't watching fireworks, I would have been there. I would have been there. <laughs> we, we, could have, we could have talked during the fireworks. Just like, hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pause it for a second. You're really good at uh, fireworks sound effects, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> you have so, a real talent. It's because I've been hearing them every night. We start, everyone starts Independence Day celebrations in February. And so um, <laughs> either that or there's just cannons and mortars just going off constantly. Oh, Tracy, this, this book, I'm sure it was a, a, a pretty crazy experience for you. How, how long were, were you writing this? How long did this take? Um, from start to finish, probably seven years. Wow. Wow. Not full time at times. Um, part-time and also i had like five operations to be which were major <laughs> during wow. that time as wow. well yeah <laughs> um yeah so there, there was a lot else going on but that was always the case and i believe even when i was coming around from operations i'd say to the anesthetic nurses i'm writing a book about john candy and then i pass out again and they were just like yeah she's she's just enjoying the drugs oh, you she's, know? Hammered. she's hammered <laughs> nobody's gonna believe her there's nobody named candy what's wrong (laughs) so have you thought because you know after writing this book and you put in all these years and everything now that you kind of know how all this works and and where to go and start and how it finishes do you see yourself writing another book yes definitely there's one i can't tell you about it right now well i can tell you a little bit about it but i can't tell you about who it's about but it's it's going to be another searching for but i'm not actually doing the biography on them they're still alive. I'm actually going out searching for them. Wow. To find, Ooh, and if I find wow. them, I'll interview them about John Candy. So they, they're kind of linked. But I'll be coming over there. So um, so that's exciting. So then we might get to meet in person as well. But I'm very excited and very scared because uh, it could all go terribly wrong. <laughs> it's going to be very expensive. But I think if nothing else, it'll just be a, a nice adventure. Yo, absolutely. That oh, sounds wow. amazing. Well, when you yeah. get to, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, uh, if you get to the States here, uh, let me know because I'll fly out wherever because I want to uh, hang out, hang out and grab a pint or tea or whatever. We can <laughs> a, a, a pint of tea. <laughs> you know, Chick-fil-A sells tea by the gallon. They do. We could each have a gallon of tea. <laughs> yeah. Just go ham on it. <laughs> Are you going to join us, Heather and Chris? You I have- would love we'll to. We'll be there. 
with bells we're all on. We're going to go, it's, but we're all going to buy one ticket. We're all going to be on each other's shoulders at the airport. <laughs> and just walking through as a very tall man. It'll be like that scene from The Little Rascals where they go into the bank. Dressed and, as a big guy? Yeah, the really big guys with the top hats. Well, of course, because you're, the, you're the lady, you've got to be the bottom part. Oh, good. The, yeah, the little miniature oh. legs sticking out. <laughs> yeah, I, we, we all want... We went thinner legs, Heather. So it's, it's your sorry. My turn. Sorry, sorry for your shoulders. We gotta have attractive legs. <laughs> We're leg men, Heather. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> so when did this book um, release, and where can folks find this book? Uh, it came out in March, and you can basically get it off Amazon anywhere you've got the internet. You can buy the book. Um, it's available in ebook and paperback. So. Excellent. Well, because I definitely want to get my I definitely want to get my hands on it so I can learn a bit more about John Candy. Do you feel Do you feel like now you know we can sit here and talk about it all day? But do you actually feel like you knew who John Candy was now? I feel like he's my friend. It's probably quite deluded, <laughs> and I'm. Also, I felt like I had a calling from JC, but it wasn't the one most people expected. You know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure if you covered it, but did you actually reach out to John Candy's family? I did. I did. And do you know what? They're a very, very sweet family. And I had contact with um, his wife, Rose, and with his son, Chris, and with Jennifer, his daughter, too. Um, and in the very early days, seven years ago, it was a case of an unknown author, I had no backing, I had no publisher, and they were very sweet and said, oh, thank you for reaching out to us, you know, best of luck with it. Um, wow. But no, we're not involved at this stage. And I, I think that's fair enough. I think if somebody was writing about my family member and I had no clue who that person was, I would say the same. And the thing is, probably back then, saying best of luck with it, they were probably just being really nice and hoping it wasn't going to go any further. And me being sort of a gullible Brit, I kind of went, oh, best of luck. <laughs> loved it. They send you a letter, a letter later. It's like, no, no, no. We were, don't do this. <laughs> yeah. we, we didn't mean it. We were just being polite Canadian. <laughs> so now that you've written the book, I, I mean, is this something like now, like that family? Is is that something that you you would hope that they would actually get their hands on and and read? Because they probably don't know about all the relationships that John had prior to his death. Yeah, I think that from watching interviews with them, they're still finding out an awful lot about their dad and about the different stories and the people that he met and the things that he did. And I think they have to be like detectives as well to find it all out. I have sent them a copy of the book. I sent them a copy of the book before it was released, which I always said from day one I would do. Awesome. And I, I also said, sorry. Oh, I just said that's oh. really special. Oh, bless you. Well, I, I hope they thought so too, but I'm not sure. Um, but I basically said to them, I know you can't promote it, I know you can't endorse it, but if there's anything in this that you do not like or you hate, please let me know because I'll get that changed before I publish. If I hear nothing from you, I'll just assume, you know, that it, it's you don't completely hate it. And I, and I didn't hear anything back, but I know that they did get the copy. What I would love um, is to do a second edition now that the first one's out so they can see where I'm coming from and I would absolutely love for them to to come forward and do an interview and give me some of the old pictures from the photo albums and I would love that but whether that ever happens it might just be a pipe dream we, yeah, well, you, you definitely you did a very good job I mean it was a very tender tale uh you handled everything very well I there was nothing I think detrimental to John's image on there. It was very, very, it, it was a love letter in a lot of ways. And I put that on my Amazon review, but it was a very, uh, <laughs> it was really a love letter to John Candy. And uh, it, it's something that I, I'll cherish. And again, not just because that I am, my name's in there, but just in general. Even if it wasn't in there, it's still probably, I mean, I, I loved it. You had to tell me that in fact, because I, because the Kindle version just takes you right to the front. It just, it skipped over everything. So I had to go like, what is she talking about? I'm like, oh my God. I wake up my wife. I'm like, hey, hey, I'm in here. Look, it's my name. <laughs> no, you spelled it right. 
that was the most brilliant part. <laughs> I was about somebody's name. My, my closest friends that I've known for 20 years, they're like, how long have we known each other? You spelled it with an A instead of an E, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just say, get over it. I spelled Jason's <laughs> name right, so that's we're fine. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. I'm I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it and reading it. Uh, we'll order a copy on Amazon. Heather Heather is more of a reader than I am, but I this is something I, I have a lot of interest in, so I'm definitely going to pick it up. Yeah, oh, I'll send excited. you a copy. Send me your address. I'll send you a copy. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And we have a actually we're we're going to be doing a a giveaway for a signed copy. Did you actually send that uh, package out yet, Tracy? I haven't sent it. It's from the UK snail mail, it can take anything from a week to three, so expect it anytime soon, but maybe not for a month. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but we have, we're, we're going to have a contest. We're, we'll, we'll post the, uh, the contest uh, on, the, on the Facebook page, but we're going to be giving away a signed copy of this. Awesome. Of the book that Tracy had sent me an extra copy. That's great. Uh, I would have given it to you, but uh, you're not getting one now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we have uh, we have a but we're gonna we're gonna have a contest for this to give this away, and I think the we're gonna have to re, it'll probably be reposting the podcast with the word the phrase Buck Melanoma. Ah, nice. That's the secret phrase. So if you repost <laughs> the link to heroic nonsense podcast with the words buck melanoma you'll be able to win a signed copy of the book from tracy j morgan and you're also as a special treat you're going to get my spare copy of of uncle buck on widescreen dvd now you're probably wondering why do i have two copies i don't know so shut up (laughs) if you want the anamorphic widescreen dvd or not don't be ungrateful. <laughs> You're just going to get a used copy of Uncle Buck that's in widescreen because I had two of them. So there. Jason, I feel like you should sign your name by your name in the book as well. <laughs> I'll just point like an arrow and then yeah. just... <laughs> this and is Chris me. and Heather can write their own names. Yeah. <laughs> we'll add them in. Uh, but, and, and for anyone out there, also, you be so kind... Go find Tracy's book, Searching for Candy, John Candy, a biography on Amazon. It's in paperback and in Kindle form. And the Kindle is only $9.99. What? I saw that. And if, yeah. And if you have a Kindle Unlimited, it's included with your subscription. I saw that. I know. I, and again, I couldn't put the book down. I read it in like two or three days. And I was, oh, that'd be sweet. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I'm a big fan of this. And when, um, when, when Chris and Heather we decided to do this podcast and they asked me to do it. I just said, yeah, I said, at some point I want to have Tracy. I want to interview her about John Candy. Oh, so this is dream come true. Oh. <laughs> no, this is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's great to talk to somebody who has a, uh, that is so passionate about uh, something like this. And the fact that you took seven years uh, to put this book together, to talk to the folks that knew him, uh, to put all that work in there is just so monumental. You should, you, I'm sure you're so, you're so proud of this, and and I can't wait to get my hands on it so I can read it. Oh, thank you so much, and I'm, I'm really like happy to have been on here as well. It's a great podcast. So thank you so much for having me. I've got homework for you, by the way. Uh-oh. Oh no! Oh no! Homework. <laughs> We got a we got a full slate because we have to we have to the next the next thing's just going to be going through old homework. Okay, what's, <laughs> what you what you got for us, Tracy? Well, you might have seen it, but you can go back and rewatch it. It's not the best John Candy movie in the world, uh, but it's Hot to Trot. Have you seen it? He Hot plays to, a whore. Hot, Hot to Trot with uh, Bobcat yeah. Goldthwait. That's right. Oh no, is that the one with the talking horse? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that movie. I'm so excited. Write that now. down. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I apologize in advance. But <laughs> just I, good. I don't think I have seen Hot to Trot since the 80s. And I, I used to, it's I remember renting it in the video store. <laughs> it was just like, oh, it's it's the guy from Police Academy with a horse. <laughs> Okay, let's rent it. I'm like a little kid. So I, let's watch, let's rent this. (laughs) 
I can't wait. I can't wait to revisit it. I'm excited. And we got hot to trot over the top and freaked. It's going to be just a mad, a mad dash. (laughs) What are we going to do? We we have completely screwed ourselves in all this. Did you know that? Because of all this homework that we have now. Well, we shouldn't have put off the other homework. (laughs) That's our. It's our fault, really. We we reap what we sow. and I, I love Tracy's enthusiasm and for, for bringing that up without Absolutely. us doing it first. Same here. I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tracy, I do want to say that I, uh, you know, we appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, and additionally, I would love, uh, or I'm sure uh, uh, Jason and Heather both would agree, it would be great to have you back again in the future. And maybe we can talk about a completely different uh, topic, maybe a Ooh. little bit of uh, John Candy, but maybe just talk about uh, movies and and uh, and things that we love and all that kind of stuff. We usually talk and, and touch upon four different, about four, three different, four, something like that, um, different topics. So maybe you can come back on with us uh, again another day. I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much. Sure. And from listening to one of your episodes, there seems to be a lot of poo chat going on. I'm quite down with that. I can talk to you. I know this. <laughs> We could do an entire episode about why beans are popular for breakfast over there. (laughs) (laughs) No topics off off subject. So, yeah, I'm absolutely (laughs) love to meet you all again. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Perfect, perfect. All right. Is that it? Are we done? I think we're done. Oh, my God. Uh, So now it's uh, 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 shameless self-promotion, Heather. Uh, Remember to go over to Instagram and check out at GasoCast. You'll find all the GasoCast news over there. You might find some pictures of Funko Pops. You might find a video of Heather sleeping. You never know what you're going to see over there. It's so exciting. At GasoCast on Instagram. And then go over to YouTube right after that or before and type in GasoCast in the subject line or the search line, rather, on YouTube. Gasocast will take you to a really fun channel where Heather and I bash each other over Funko Pop and toys. It's like being five all over again. Right, Heather? It's great. Yes. And you can find me on Instagram at SwobobaFed where I post pictures of toys. And today I posted pictures of tomatoes. <laughs> Little tiny tomatoes. I bought a secret tomato plant. I had no. I went to this uh, the Mom's Organic Market. They had one big tomato plant and it was on sale. And it wasn't labeled. So I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, you know what? I'm not. I'm just going to put it in the garden. I'm going to find out these little sweet orange tomatoes. But that's not all. I'm more than just tomatoes and cheese. What? <laughs> uh, you yeah, fooled you me this find... entire time. I have, haven't I? And uh, Tracy, are you still there? I'm here. I'm still where, here. Where can we find you? Oh, you can find me at Tracy Mixbag on Twitter. I am on Instagram. I think that's Tracy Mixbag as well. Or you can go to my Facebook page, John Candy, searching for candy. And that's, I how, that's how I found that. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. <clears throat> well, thank Tracy, again, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, guys, you. Jason, do you have any final words? Anything else? You good? Uh, uh does anyone have any hot mustard for me? That's what I want to know. <laughs> we were actually wondering if you're going to bring that to our 4th of July party. We're, we're... You ha- I have some stuff prepared for that. Oh, my Don't God. Worry. Oh, my God. Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Guys, this has been Heroic Nonsense. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.